year's income. But as quickly as the rush for riches began, it ended. Frustrated merchants threw up their hands and stopped buying the overpriced bulbs. A full-on panic ensued, and in a matter of days, bulb prices plummeted 90%. The financial damage was so widespread that the government had to declare all tulip bulb contracts written during the craze null and void. Change the commodity from tulip bulbs to land, and you could rewrite this story as the great Florida land boom and bust of the 1920s. Make it stocks, and you have the internet boom and bust of the late 1990s. The story has played out time and again in markets where prospects for quick and apparently endless appreciation have encouraged speculators to put down real money for products with artificially inflated values the speculators had no desire or ability to hold for the long term. This is the way it seems to go with speculators. Because they might make money, they think they are investing. But they're not. Collectors make up the third broad group we have identified. You don't have to have books of stamps in a drawer or fabulous art on your walls to be a collector. A collector is simply someone who buys things on the basis of their emotional value rather than their investment value. It's emotional value first and investment value second, if at all. Think Beanie Babies. Collectors buy for love, status, aesthetic gratification, and pleasure. As a result, any financial aspects of the deal become an afterthought. This is the way it seems to go with collectors, because their collections may go up in value they think they are investing, but they're not. Investors are a breed apart. Unlike observers, they take action. Unlike speculators, they minimize risk. Unlike collectors, they buy on the basis of investment value. Investors are defined by their expectation for financial gain and the process they follow to minimize financial risk. They make it their practice to study and know market value. And then they go out and find assets priced below that value. They don't count on appreciation to bail them out. They make their money going in. Like a bargain hunter, they find as much joy in the search for a bargain as in the transaction itself. Because they think and act like investors, they tend to achieve excellent returns on those investments, all while exposing themselves to little or no risk. Investors follow a straight and narrow path, straight in that they move from knowledge to action, and narrow in that they minimize risk and maximize return. It's a way of thinking and a way of acting. This is the true north of the financial wealth builder, the investor. With a certain amount of wealth, your options also increase. One sees this with successful investors. They may move a little to the left or right of the narrow investment path. But they've earned that right. They can afford to do a little speculating to seek a greater return, or a little collecting to store some wealth. But they never stray too far, and never confuse speculating or collecting with investing. When Warren Buffett, having made his fortune, bought a corporate jet, he didn't try to hide the truth. He appropriately named it the indefensible. He could afford it. He bought it. But he couldn't justify it as an investment. May we all have the clarity of Warren Buffett. While I believe that everyone has the potential to become an investor, the truth is that not everyone will. In my experience, you can walk up to anyone and ask, Would you like to be wealthy? And I'm certain his or her answer will be yes. 
However, most people won't achieve it for the simple reason they are wishful instead of willful in their thinking. The difference makes all the difference. While the wishful enjoy the idea of big financial success, the willful enjoy the actions that lead to real financial success. Some people have a great life just in their heads, and some people just have a great life. It all comes down to how you think, and whether your thinking naturally leads you to take action. It's thinking for the sake of doing instead of just thinking for thinking's sake. Millionaire real estate investors are not the kind to get lost on the sidelines. They watch the game unfold, and as soon as they feel they understand what's going on, they dive in and play. They think action. They take action. Nina's Rule Watch Your Posture Nina, a good friend and personal trainer, shared with me the fact that one of the first things she works on with her clients is their posture. That surprised me, because I would have thought the first thing she'd teach would be exercises. When I asked her to explain, her answer was remarkably simple. Posture is exercise, and our posture in daily life, the way we sit at a desk or stand in line, has a bigger impact on our physical well-being than we could imagine. It's a more important exercise for our health, she explained, than the crunches we do or the weight we press. While the best of us work on our muscles a little each day, our posture is at work 24 hours a day. Medical research supports her point of view. Posture has a measurable and profound impact on a person's health. The challenge is that posture is unconscious. It's a habit. Unless you are thinking about it actively, you aren't usually aware whether you've got your shoulders square and your back straight. If you just sat up in your chair after hearing that last line, welcome to the club. So Nina's first job is to ask her clients to start paying more attention to their posture. In doing so, they build stronger, healthier bodies. Since habits, even physical ones, are the product of one's focus and thinking, one could say that an able body is the product of an able mind. Nina sold me on the principle, and I've come to think of it as Nina's rule. What's surprising is how applicable it is to your financial health. To restate Nina's rule in the context of personal wealth, your ability to build financial wealth is determined as much by your everyday financial posture as by your not-everyday big financial decisions. I'm talking about the unconscious and seemingly inconsequential spending decisions you make on a daily basis. These little decisions set the stage for your big decisions and their habit-forming. Most people don't make this connection. Warren Buffett put it best when he said, There is a tendency with small decisions to think you can do them for not very good reasons. The truth is that as an investor, all your financial decisions, big or small, should be for good reasons. In the context of this book, you need to develop the financial posture of a millionaire real estate investor, the unconscious habits that guide you all day, every day. This doesn't necessarily mean you're actively working on your investments all the time. What it does mean is that you always have the mental habits of an investor. It shows up in how you manage your money and how you look for opportunity each and every day. Here's what I want you to begin to do. In the grocery store, at the gas station, basically any time you find yourself with a credit card in hand, I want you to do two things. 
First, say to yourself, I'm an investor, not a consumer. Second, ask yourself, is this the best use for my money? Am I using my money like an investor or like a consumer? When you find yourself comparing price and value, hunting for the best buy, and being willing to walk away if you don't find it, congratulations, you're beginning to think like an investor. You're a shopper, not a buyer. You're treating your small financial decisions the same way you treat your big ones. Nina's rule not only applies to your spending habits, it's also about building the mental habit of always being on the lookout for investment opportunities. This is not just a once-a-month or a once-a-week activity. It's an everyday posture. It's always being alert for investment opportunities and consistently letting others know that you are. It's about top-of-the-mind awareness. It's about the everyday posture of an investor. Just as your physical posture leads to physical health, your financial posture will lead to financial wealth. Developing the seven thinking habits of an investor and making them part of your everyday mindset is foundational to building financial wealth. Points to Remember The pursuit of money is a spiritual journey. Money reflects your innermost values and has the power to reveal you. Money is also about choices. The more you have, the more positive choices you have. True financial wealth is a place of security and abundance, where you are finally free to stop working for a living and start living for your work, your life's work. Motivation matters. Discovering your big why enables you to prioritize your needs as well as the choices and actions that will fulfill them. It brings power and stamina to your financial focus. Thinking big is not enough. You need big goals, big models, and big habits to drive you towards your big why and protect you along the way. For millionaire real estate investors, money matters. They take their financial education seriously and make investing a priority. So should you. Understanding money will pay dividends in your life. Understanding the money matrix is imperative to your education. Are you an investor or a consumer? Investors build their financial life on capital. Consumers build theirs on consumption. In the end, either you work for your money or your money works for you. The best and most definitive measure of financial wealth is net worth. So in the game of financial wealth building, keep a scorecard. Track your net worth over time to see which investments have the greatest positive impact on financial wealth. No other investment has had such a consistent and powerful effect on the average person's net worth as real estate ownership. It's attainable, appreciable, leverageable, rentable, improvable, deductible, depreciable, deferrable, stable, and finally, livable, which makes real estate a most able investment indeed. Real estate investment thinking follows a process, a process that saves time, reduces risk, and keeps you focused. Simply put, you must know value to recognize opportunity, and you must find opportunities before you can do deals. Investing requires action, Successful investing requires the right action. Observers, speculators, and collectors are not true investors.
Investors take action, minimize risk, and buy based on investment value. Investors are a breed apart. Follow Nina's rule and develop the financial posture of a millionaire real estate investor. Little decisions set the stage for big decisions. So build and be conscious of the right kind of mental habits, those that will lead to financial wealth. Stage 2. Buy a Million. America's First Millionaire. It's a little-known fact that America's first millionaire was a real estate investor. A German immigrant and the son of a butcher, he was named John Jacob Astor. In the early 1800s, Astor got rich trading in furs, tea, silk, and fine china. But that was not where his real fortune was made. Eventually, he invested his trading profits in something that would prove to be even better, real estate. His most profitable investments were in New York City, and before long, the man known as Manhattan's landlord was widely acknowledged as the wealthiest person of his time. He had not only become America's first millionaire, he was also its first multimillionaire. Shortly before his death, Astor reportedly said, could I begin life again, knowing what I now know and had money to invest, I would buy every foot of land on the island of Manhattan. Astor passed away in 1848, leaving more than $20 million to his heirs. This immigrant butcher's son not only was America's first millionaire and multimillionaire, he was also America's first millionaire real estate investor. I love the story of John Jacob Astor because it captures both the art and the science of investing. The art inspires us, and the science instructs us. The fact that an immigrant butcher's son could build America's first great fortune is the inspiration. The fact that he did it through real estate is the instruction. This is consistent with my experience. I believe there is an art and a science to achieving your highest potential in any endeavor, and building financial wealth is no exception. The art of real estate investing is about becoming inspired to overcome your misunderstandings and think like a millionaire real estate investor. The science is about learning and applying the models these successful investors use. Up to this point, we've addressed the art. It's now time to address the science. The five models of the millionaire real estate investor. The five models of the millionaire real estate investor. Proven models replace the need for years of experience. In fact, it's a case of experience replacing experience. Other people's experience replacing the need for yours. With proven models, you get the benefit of learning from the mistakes of other people without having to make them yourself. You also get to build on their successes. Models inform your activities, help you get the most out of your efforts, and accelerate you toward your goals. Built with the clarity of hindsight, they answer the all-important question, what's the best thing for me to do? In our research and experience, five key models stand out in the world of real estate investing. They're the net worth model, the financial model, the network model, the lead generation model, and last, the acquisition model. The five models represent the best practices of our millionaire real estate investors. A few of those investors are experienced speakers and instructors with an amazing breadth of knowledge about investing. 
Some are generalists who ably play whatever cards they have been dealt, and others are niche experts who are building their wealth through specialization. We took the best wisdom we could find in our research and then built our models around the idea of a collective millionaire real estate investor who represents the best of all of them. As a result, these five models accurately describe the most widely applicable and timeless intelligence on real estate investing. When we set out in search of these models, we were working from the idea that two heads are better than one. By interviewing over 100 millionaire real estate investors, we amplified that simple truth many times over. For us, then, a hundred heads are better than two. What we were looking for was perspective drawn from a large enough group to gain collective wisdom. Perspective is an amazing thing. The gift it gives us is better vision. The ability to see things as they are and as they are relative to everything else. Perspective gives you the full picture and clarity for your actions. It's our hope that the five models of the millionaire real estate investor will give you the best possible perspective and clarity to apply to your wealth building career. As we go through the five models and their key areas, you'll find it extremely helpful to review the models, flowcharts, and sample worksheets provided in part two on the bonus CD. The net worth model of the millionaire real estate investor. Your journey to becoming a millionaire real estate investor begins with your understanding of net worth and ends with your having a lot. Net worth is your worth in financial terms. Practically speaking, it's what you own minus what you owe, your assets minus your liabilities. The net worth model of the millionaire real estate investor is a proven plan of action for dramatically increasing your net worth over time. It's a simple three-step process. First, learn the path of money. Second, manage a personal budget. Third, track personal net worth. For millionaire real estate investors, these steps are sacred. Their knowledge of the path of money continually reminds them that they must always make appropriate choices to maximize their returns. With this end in mind, they purposefully budget their money to maximize the amount they have to invest. Finally, after they've invested their money, they consistently measure and review the results they're getting to maximize their net worth. My aunt and uncle were the perfect examples of how anyone can follow the net worth model to financial freedom. Clem and Woody understood that their financial wealth probably wouldn't come from the modest income they earned from their barber shop in Galena Park, Texas. They worked hard doing what they loved, but they knew early on they'd need income from additional sources to fulfill their financial goals. It was very clear to them that they would have to invest and let their money go to work for them. So they started budgeting aggressively, setting aside every dollar they could for investing. I grew up around Clem and Woody, and they cut the hair of everyone in my family each month. Even as a young child, I was aware of the purposeful frugality, and that memory has stayed with me. Thanks to years of thrifty living, planned savings, and careful investing, they were ready when an investor group from Austin, Texas, came to town to invite investors to buy land at the intersection of two major highways. The research showed that this was a terrific opportunity, really a no-brainer. My aunt and uncle didn't hesitate. They had the money, understood the opportunity, 
liked the terms, and invested in the deal. All their hard work and prudence soon paid off. A few short years later, they were the richest people in my family. They had become millionaires, and because they kept investing, they went on to become multi-millionaires. Path Your Money My aunt and uncle realized that money has a path. Do you? Millionaires do. That's why they're millionaires. They know that when a dollar leaves their hands, it begins a critical journey down a path of choices and decisions. They know that those decisions are the key to building their financial wealth. The map they follow and the guide they trust on this journey is called the path of money. The path of money describes the ways money flows in and out of your life. You can think of it as a river with tributaries and distributaries, and with inlets and outlets, with springs that feed it and sinkholes that drain it, with sources getting channeled for strength or dispersed for weakness. Some rivers keep growing and flowing on their journey. Some dry up. The path of money works the same way. There are sources that start it down its path. Some are strong, others aren't. And the choices made as it flows will either feed and grow it, making it stronger, or drain and shrink it, making it weaker. Millionaires get this. They know that they have to direct their money purposefully. Some people let their money wander wherever it wants to go. Millionaires don't. They direct their money to the places that will bring them the greatest financial growth and the most substantial net worth. Maybe it goes without saying, but to path money, you first must have some. Equally obvious, but just as important. The more money you path, the more you will have. Therefore, getting as much money to path as you can is critical. There are only two ways to get money. You can earn money, and you can receive it. You can earn money from your work, and you can receive it from your assets. If you're like most people, while you'd like to have lots of assets that pay you money, you probably will have to start with the money you earn, and that will work fine. As long as you have some cash flow from one source or the other, you're in good shape. Why? Because income allows you to participate in the path of money game. Here's how the game is played. Once you have cash, the path presents you with four basic choices. First, you can consume it by spending it. Second, you can save it by holding it. Third, you can share it by donating it. Last, you can grow it by investing it. Right here at the very first crossroads is where most people get knocked out of the game. They get knocked out so early that they believe they were never in it. What do they do with their money? They spend most of it, hold some of it, donate a little of it, and invest none of it. For them, the game is over. The path ends right there. For millionaires, however, the game has just begun. They have a bigger end in mind and don't intend to be stopped here. Through intentional budgeting, they make sure they always have ample money to invest. This enables them to stay in the game and move farther down the path. This is where the game starts getting exciting. When you have money to invest, you have another choice, to loan or to own. You can lend your money to others for a predetermined rate of return. Or you can buy an asset that could go up in value, pay you cash flow, or both. This is an interesting place in the path. To proceed wisely, you must determine which season of your financial life you are in. Do you want to accumulate more wealth, 
or do you want to protect the wealth you already have? If you are in the wealth accumulation season of your life, you probably want to invest to own. If you are in the wealth protection season, you most likely want to invest to lend. With each of these choices, there are two basic positions. You can lend or own passively, or you can lend or own actively. It's a critical set of decisions that can keep your money safe or make it soar. Millionaires know that passive lending is mainly a money preservation strategy. The rates of return they can get from passive lending are comparatively low. Why? Because they're usually guaranteed and most of the borrowers will turn around and relend the money. When factored for inflation, passive lending usually does not lead to a significant increase in net worth. Millionaires know that active lending, in which they lend their money directly to businesses or individuals, can bring them higher rates of return than passive lending can. However, it'll require them to be able to lend significant amounts of capital and that they typically will not get the benefit of appreciation. Institutions and mature individual investors are usually best suited to take this path. Asset ownership is on the other side of the path, and this is where big wealth is built. Millionaires know this and placed most of their investment dollars here buying and owning assets that can appreciate and give them cash flow. But when it comes to ownership, they know that the passive options, things like stocks for businesses and real estate investment trusts for real estate, usually don't build great wealth without insider positioning or great wealth having been invested. As a result, they usually head straight for active investing in businesses or real estate. Millionaire real estate investors choose real estate. Why? Because they like the big upside, the small downside, and the personal control it offers. Here is the best news for investors on the path of money. The path never has to end. As money flows from your investments, you'll have more money to path, to reinvest, and build more wealth. Millionaires know that at this point, the path of money can become a most rewarding, endless loop. If you want to become a millionaire real estate investor, learn the path of money game and play it. Budget your expenses. Once you learn the path of money, get on it and stay on it. For most people, this is easier said than done because they have an undisciplined approach to spending. They usually have more month left at the end of their money. This is a problem. People can't progress along the path if they spend all their income. To achieve your financial goals, you have to have some money left over at the end of every month. There has to be something left over to invest. And the best way to assure this is to budget for it. We can thank the late 19th century economist Thorsten Velbin for coining the phrase conspicuous consumption. His study, The Theory of the Leisure Class, profiled a generation of newly rich Americans who abandoned the modesty of their Puritan forebearers in favor of an ostentatious display of wealth. Veblen described a kind of consumption snowball effect that ensues when individuals base their self-esteem on the possession of material goods. He said, As fast as a person makes new acquisitions and becomes accustomed to the new standard of wealth, the new standard ceases to afford appreciably greater satisfaction than the earlier standard did. In other words, new stuff quickly becomes old stuff, creating the need for more new stuff. It's the 19th century version of keeping up with the Joneses. 
they were trapped in the financially self-destructive cycle where the spending never ends, but the joy of it does. Not a whole lot has changed. We still live in a consuming society, unrestrained and unbudgeted. Unlike the days of Veblen, we don't even need to have cash to spend it. Credit comes easy. As a result, people are willing to mortgage their financial future for the trappings of the rich today. To put this in perspective, a 2003 report by the Federal Reserve Board showed that while the median household income was just over $43,000, those households carried almost $18,700 in consumer debt. That's high interest, unsecured debt equaling 43% of their annual income. That means even if they set aside 10% of their annual income to pay off that debt, it could take more than seven years to do so. It's a disturbing trend that appears to be getting worse. Instead of investing to finance their future, more and more people are spending on credit to finance their lifestyle. The hard truth is this. If you have to finance your lifestyle, you can't afford it. Millionaire real estate investors understand the temptation to live for today. But because they follow the net worth model, they successfully and consistently keep their focus on their financial future. Through budgeting and thrift, they manage to live a comfortable lifestyle while investing a sizable percentage of their disposable income. After all, a little less of today could mean a whole lot more of tomorrow. Personal budgeting works. I do it. The millionaire real estate investors we interviewed do it. And you must do it, too. It's the only way wealth building gets launched and maintained. Your ability to budget successfully is directly related to your ability to differentiate between discretionary spending and required spending. It's the priceless ability to distinguish between wants and needs. They are not the same. Investors can separate the two. There is no confusion. Their required spending reflects their actual needs. Consumers don't have this financial clarity. Their required spending reflects both their wants and their needs. The net result is that investors have money to invest and consumers don't. This would be a great time to look up the charts, graphs, and models relating to this subject in Part 2 of the bonus CD. You will find they really help you visualize the concepts we're about to cover. Consumers look at their monthly expenses and immediately come to the conclusion that they can't afford to invest. After all, by the time they've paid for their necessities, there doesn't seem to be anything left over for investing. Consumers often complain that they never have enough income to cover their needs when it's their spending, not their income, that's the problem. In our experience, the number one barrier to investing in real estate is a perceived lack of investment capital rather than a real one. Investors, by contrast, see it as it really is. They take an honest look at their expenses and separate the discretionary from the required. Investors know that their daily, weekly, and monthly spending decisions can add up to a lot, and they're willing to make small sacrifices today in exchange for big rewards down the road. In the end, investors see investment spending as required spending. That's why they always have money to invest. Investors want to invest, and they take every opportunity to set aside the money to do so. This is where the phrase, pay yourself first, comes from. They take investing so seriously that they start setting aside investment funds 
the moment money comes into their possession. Millionaire real estate investors take this concept a step further. They pay themselves first, second, and last. They set aside money to invest before taxes, after taxes, and after all spending. Just like the legendary investor Sir John Templeton, who, when he was young, lived off just 50% of his income so that he could invest the rest, millionaires play a game to see how much money they can save for investing. They do it everywhere they can. Sacrifice can be fun when you connect it to a reward. Make no mistake about it. Just as there are big differences between a consumer and an investor, there are big differences between an investor and a millionaire investor. One of the biggest differences is the amount of money a person continually sets aside for investing. Millionaires believe in the net worth model and budget to find more money to invest. A lot more. Here's a simple and effective way to keep a personal budget and start behaving like a millionaire real estate investor. Using the sample personal budget form we've provided on the bonus CD, figure 42 for downloading, start with your monthly income. Ideally, you're getting both earned income from your work and unearned income from your investments. We separate the two because your goal will be to increase your monthly unearned income over time. Total the two and you have your gross monthly income. Next, decide how much you will tithe to your charities or church, how much you'll save for security and reserves, how much you'll invest for the future, and last, what you'll hold back for taxes. What's left is your net spendable income. The idea is to pay yourself first by taking care of your big goals up front. Therefore, charity, security, and investing always come first. Taxes, of course, always come first because it's the law. Now it's time to figure out where your net spendable income goes each month, your expenses. Sort through your monthly bills. Now tally how much you spend on big expenses, like housing and food, each month. Once you get a grasp of your current expenses, it will take very little time to update this form as your income and expenses change. This is where your goals meet your resolve, where you must hold yourself accountable to live within your prescribed means. In the Expenses section of the Personal Budget Worksheet, you'll notice that it's broken into three areas, Current, Required, and Discretionary. Take a look at your actual spending and ask yourself whether a percentage of those expenses might actually be discretionary. For example, if a monthly TV cable bill is $50, you might decide that the $35 basic monthly service is all you really need. That frees up $15 a month in discretionary income. We hope you'll be honest enough to admit that you could get by, and get by comfortably, spending less in one or more of these categories. None of us can be disciplined all the time. We all splurge a little on things we love, and that's okay. What's not okay is to splurge unconsciously in all these areas all the time. This is where your personal resolve to meet your financial goals really comes into play, and you must hold yourself accountable to live within your prescribed means the amount of money you allow yourself to spend. It's the ongoing battle of budgeting for financial wealth. It's about always making sure you have money to invest. Finally, at the bottom of the worksheet is your budget analysis, where you subtract required expenses from net spendable income to arrive at any surplus or deficit in your monthly budget. If you show a deficit, you need to spend more time analyzing your required and discretionary spending priorities. A surplus is generally good news. That's money you can use for whatever you want. 
Since high school, I've kept a personal budget and tried to keep it as simple and uncomplicated as possible. From the beginning, I always set my tithing, saving, and investing goals and knew what percentage of my income I planned to dedicate to each one. I also had a good grip on my monthly expenses and knew about how much was required to cover the necessities. When Mary and I got married, that knowledge allowed me to take our paychecks and efficiently divide them among three bank accounts. One was my investing, saving, and tithing account. That's where a predetermined amount was deposited whenever we were paid. Then I would transfer to my regular checking account enough to cover our required expenses. Everything that was left over, our surplus, went into Mary's bank account to handle the unplanned expenses and also for our fun, disposable income. But a funny thing started happening. Each month, Mary would announce that she'd saved an additional amount of money from her account that we could reinvest. Even though I told her that money was our fun money, it was meant to be spent. A lifetime of thrifty living was too hard to shake. We should all be like Mary. Partitioning one's money into different accounts according to a predetermined budget works as a kind of fail-safe or alarm. Anytime your actual spending exceeds your budget, you have to transfer money consciously from your reserves to cover it. It's about awareness. It's about adding an extra step in the process to reconsider your spending decisions. When you have to think about it, you may think better about it. The good news is that once you have a handle on this process, you don't have to think so much about your daily spending, unless you find you're running a deficit in one of your accounts. All the money that ends up in your surplus account is by definition discretionary. That money is for fun. Although many of our millionaire real estate investors probably would say investing that money is fun. Ultimately, the choice is yours. Track your worth. The final step in the net worth model of the millionaire real estate investor is to keep a personal balance sheet, a worksheet for tracking your net worth. The personal balance sheet is probably the greatest gift Michael gave me in our financial wealth building breakfasts. He taught me to focus on my net worth and track it over time. Michael pointed out that businesses have three essential financial documents that are absent in most homes. One, a general ledger to record the details of business expenses. Two, an income statement of profit and loss, or P&L statement, for tracking income and expenses. Three, a balance sheet for a snapshot of the net worth of the business at a given time. Michael didn't advocate keeping a general ledger for my household expenses. The general ledger is where a business records all its expenses in detail. For individuals, a general ledger would involve the tedious tracking of all monthly receipts. The two documents Michael did advocate were the P&L and the balance sheet. A household P&L statement is just another name for a personal budget that tracks your income and expenses to show a net surplus or deficit or, in the case of a business, a profit or loss. At the time I was meeting with Michael, I had a simple budget and adhered to it pretty well. So our focus became primarily on the personal balance sheet. Using a bank loan application form as our guide, we crafted a one-page worksheet for calculating my net worth. We listed all my assets, things like stocks, real estate, businesses, collectibles, and so on then subtracted my liabilities, the total debt I owed on those items. This is how we arrived at my net worth. That improvised worksheet went on to become the focus of our later meetings, and ultimately a tool to which I credit a great deal of my current financial wealth.
Michael and I started each breakfast by going over my updated personal balance sheet. Then Michael would underline the net worth total and ask the question, Now, how can you make that grow? The document has evolved over the years, and I still use it. In fact, I keep a copy of my personal balance sheet with me at all times and update it every week. And I always ask the same question, How can I make this grow? It was by asking and answering that question over time that I began to get a real understanding of how wealth is built, and that understanding had a massive impact on my financial well-being. It gave me a great perspective on my evolving finances. Over the years, I always knew exactly how far I'd progressed toward my financial wealth goals. I would look back at my records and calculate my year-over-year -year progress, and by updating the balance sheet regularly, I would track year-to-date progress. All this added up to an awareness of where I was in relation to my financial goals, how fast I was getting there, and how far I still needed to go. The sample personal balance sheet, figure 44 on the bonus CD, can be completed on a quarterly, monthly, or even weekly basis. I think monthly is the minimum frequency to keep a handle on your finances and that most individuals would benefit greatly from reviewing their finances, as I do, on a weekly basis. Anytime you make a major investment, you should update your balance sheet. It was by doing this, I began to understand how the different choices I made with my money would impact my net worth. Over time and with careful, consistent analysis, you will see a familiar path emerge, the path of money. With the net worth model of the millionaire real estate investor, you begin with the path of money and you end there as well. The insight gained from the path of money tends to lead investors to manage their budgets so their investment dollars are maximized systematically. Then they track their investments over time using their balance sheets to determine how each investment affects their net worth. Finally, through their review and analysis of the budget sheet and investment performance, their personal path of money evolves and becomes clearer and clearer. The Financial Model of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor There are two ways to build financial wealth by investing in real estate. I know that sounds way too simple, but it's true. There are just two. Within those two are a vast array of variations that can give the appearance of massive complexity. And by using those various options, you can make real estate investing as complex as you want. Eventually, most millionaires do, but not in the beginning. They always start with the basics and build from there. When you truly understand the two basic drivers of financial wealth, you begin to see the fundamental opportunities they present and learn how to take advantage of them. If you're like me or any of our millionaire real estate investors, this is when you really get excited. That's the power of this financial model. It both guides you and motivates you. The two ways to make money in real estate investing, the two drivers of financial wealth, are equity buildup and cash flow growth. They can happen simultaneously, so you can benefit from both at the same time. Equity buildup increases your net worth in your real estate assets, while cash flow growth provides a stream of unearned income. You can live on that income or reinvest it by paying down your debt or acquiring more real estate. If you keep your money in play by reinvesting the cash flow, that's my recommendation, 
you are accelerating your equity buildup and therefore the growth of your personal net worth. Remember, your net worth is the measure of your success and your score in the game of financial wealth building. Equity Buildup When you look at equity buildup closely, you'll discover that it comes from two factors, price appreciation and debt paydown. If you buy it right, which we'll clarify later on, your real estate investment will begin with a margin of equity right away. This means that your initial down payment, your investment, plus the mortgage loan or debt you incur when added together, will still be less than the price you could sell the property for, its market value. That difference is your equity in the property. Over time, as you rent the property, the two natural forces of price appreciation and debt paydown work together to increase your equity. Obviously, if the market value increases, your equity in the property goes up. But it also goes up because you're paying down the debt through the mortgage. Each monthly payment you make reduces the amount you owe on the loan. So as the mortgage debt decreases over the term of the loan, 30 years, 15 years, and so on, your equity increases consistently. Let's take a real-life look at this process. If you had invested in a residential income property in 1988 at the then median home price of approximately $90,000, it would, 15 years later in 2003, have been worth almost $170,000. Price appreciation would have gained you $81,000 in equity, but that's only part of the equity buildup picture. You also would have been paying off the mortgage and thereby reducing your debt. This calculation of debt paydown requires some carefully considered assumptions. First, it assumes that you purchased the property at 20% below market value. 90,000 minus 20% equals $72,000. Second, it assumes that you made a 20% down payment. 20% times 72,000 equals $14,400. This means you would have gotten a mortgage loan of $57,000. 72,000 minus 14,400 equals $57,600. As you make your monthly loan payments, covered by the rental income from your tenants, you're paying off some portion of the loan's remaining balance, so you're reducing your debt on the property. As you reduce the debt, you increase your equity. In this real-life example, with a loan of $57,600 and a typical 30-year mortgage, you would have, during those 15 years, reduced the loan debt to $43,334 and gained another $14,266 in equity buildup. The shorter the length of the loan, the faster you'll achieve debt paydown. In the example we're using, a 15-year mortgage would have reduced the debt to $0 and increased the equity by the full amount of the loan, $57,600. What makes the financial model of the millionaire real estate investor so compelling is the combined impact of all these factors. This is where the power of real estate to build financial wealth is fully revealed. In the investment we've analyzed, this is how it all adds up. Your $14,400 investment in 1988 turned into equity of more than $128,506 in just 15 years. This would be like putting your $14,400 in a bank account, paying an annual compounded interest rate of 15.7%. If you had used a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30-year mortgage, your equity would have grown to more than $171,840.
that's like an annual compounded interest rate of 17.9%. In either case, this is a significant return on investment, and definitely not one you will find at a bank. And those remarkable returns don't reflect what happens when you factor for cash flow growth. Cash flow growth. As good as all this equity buildup is, and it's very good and very real to a millionaire real estate investor, it's not the whole story. There's the added benefit of cash flow growth to consider. Net cash flow is achieved from a real estate investment when the rental income you receive is more than the costs you incur. The costs include your expenses, an allowance for vacancy, and debt service. That's the mortgage payment on the property. All this will be outlined in more detail in the upcoming section. For now, let's just say that if you buy it right, finance it wisely, and control your expenses, you can achieve a positive net cash flow. As rents appreciate over time, historically they increase at about the same rate as price appreciation, the cash flow will grow. Once the loan is paid off, the net cash flow grows dramatically because your monthly mortgage loan payment goes away. In our example of the $90,000 rental property purchased in 1988, we realistically could have received over the 15 years a total net cash flow between $18,000 with a 15-year mortgage and $34,000 with a 30-year mortgage. In the case of the 15-year loan, since it would be paid off, our annual net cash flow would jump to over $9,400. Let's add it all up. Beginning with an investment of only $14,400, figure 49 on the bonus CD shows the various financial outcomes we could have achieved in just 15 years. You would have increased your financial net worth by a significant amount in that time, with only one investment in real estate. What if you did more than one? What if you applied the power of this financial model many times? What if you made several real estate investments over the course of 15 or 20 years or more? you would become a millionaire. A millionaire real estate investor. That's the point. It's what the numbers show. It's what millionaire real estate investors know. It's where you want to go. Your financial journey. Let's see how the numbers play out. What happens when you make multiple real estate investments over a number of years? The clearest way to view this is to follow the path of a millionaire real estate investor who began to invest some years ago and then see what would have happened to those investments. Let's begin in 1983. Track the progress over 20 years and watch the numbers grow, both equity buildup and cash flow growth. This multi-year look at the financial model will tell a story about the journey of someone who began his or her real estate investing in 1983. For the sake of the story, let's say that person was you. With you as our model real estate investor, we will observe what you did over 20 years and how it turned out. We're going to discover how you were able to turn an initial investment of $11,248 into an equity position of over $1.6 million and an annual net cash flow of over $50,000. How did you do this from 1983 to 2002? It's an intriguing and revealing story a realistic and exciting journey of financial wealth building. It is the story of becoming a millionaire real estate investor. It all began when you followed the wise advice of your mentor to buy it right. With that advice as your guide, 
Each of the 15 investments you made during those 20 years was in the middle of the market, at about the median home price, purchased at 20% below market value. Your first investment back in 1983 was at the U.S. median home price of $70,300. You paid $56,240 for the property, invested 20% or 11248 as the down payment. You financed the remaining $44,992 with a 30-year mortgage loan. That became your fundamental formula. Median price, 20% discount, 20% down, and a 30-year loan. You stayed true to that proven formula for the next 20 years. You believed if real estate prices and rents appreciated at an average of about 5% a year over that time, and if you used the best available financing, historically the average interest rate of about 7.4%, then held your expenses to about 40% of your rents, your equity would build, and so would your net cash flow. In fact, you predicted that your very first investment property would, after 20 years, have a market value of over $180,000, and your equity in the property would be more than $160,000. And you were right. That is, in fact, what happened. But for you, that was only the beginning. Your mentor told you about the compounding power of making several real estate investments over time. He said it would multiply both your net worth and your passive income exponentially. So you continued to invest in real estate carefully, but consistently. Being realistic and needing time to accumulate some savings, you made your second investment two years later in 1985. The median price had risen to $75,500. Using your formula of a 20% discount and 20% down, you acquired the property with a down payment of $12,080 and financed $48,320 with another 30-year loan. You continued implementing your real estate investment strategy by patiently saving some of your earned income, then systematically searching for the next opportunity. You made it your goal to invest in another residential income property every two years. Buying your third property in 1987, your fourth in 89, your fifth in 91, in just 10 years, you owned five properties. You had invested $67,960 of your savings in five houses, now worth over $537,000. And your equity had built up to over $280,000. Your annual net cash flow already exceeded $6,800. More than half of what you invested in your first house. You knew you could apply that cash flow toward your next acquisition. In fact, since you had accumulated over $33,297 in net cash flow over the first 10 years, you could now, if you chose, make all your future annual purchases from that accumulated cash flow. That accumulated money, when added to your ongoing annual cash flow, would more than cover all your future down payments. Now your story really begins to get exciting. With your strong equity position and increasing annual cash flow, you began in 1993 to acquire an investment property each year for the next 10 years. Therefore, by the end of 2002, your 20th full year as a real estate investor, you owned 15 residential income properties. They have a combined market value of over $2.5 million, and you have equity buildup of over $1.6 million. You have become a millionaire real estate investor with just 15 buy-it-right acquisitions in only 20 years.
In fact, you actually became a net worth real estate millionaire three years before that in 1999 with the 12 properties you owned then. In addition to your $1.6 million in equity at the end of 2002, you would have earned more than $303,000 in accumulated cash flow. All that cash flow could have been used to make your ongoing real estate investments or to pay down your loans, converting the cash flow directly into equity. As you look back on your last 20 years, you realize you've turned your total $271,800 of down payments into a return on investment of more than $1.9 million. If you did no more investing over the next five years, those 15 properties would be worth nearly $3.3 million, and your equity would exceed $2.4 million. As an added bonus, your annual net cash flow would be almost $90,000. Not bad. 25 years, 15 properties, $2.4 million net worth, and $90,000 annual cash flow. Through this story, you've experienced the power of the millionaire real estate investor's financial model. It is straightforward and real. In fact, we discovered an interesting truth in researching the actual financial positions of the more than 100 millionaire real estate investors we interviewed for this book. Their basic or median financial numbers are strikingly similar to those you've just heard about in the 20-year financial model. Review figures 50, 51, and 52 on the bonus CD and you'll see the investors have a median market value of $3.7 million for their investment properties, an equity position of $1.5 million, and an annual net cash flow of $85,000. Our 20-year investment story, with 15 acquisitions from 1983 to 2002, generated $1.6 million in equity. This is virtually identical to the case for millionaire real estate investors. Our story's market value of $2.6 million is about a million dollars less than those we interviewed. The story's annual cash flow of $50,500 is also less than our real estate millionaires. The millionaire real estate investors we interviewed also had more debt, 60% versus 38% in their investments. It would appear that they are buying larger properties, probably multifamily, and accruing more debt but greater cash flow. We have been more cautious and perhaps conservative in applying this financial model. In the end, though, it's the equity that matters most and has the greatest direct impact on personal net worth. The lesson from our pretend journey is this. If you follow the path of the millionaire real estate investor, if you make real estate investments, if you buy them right, and if you consistently repeat the process over time, you will inevitably become a net worth millionaire. May this journey of the financial model, the story we took the liberty to put you in, become your real-life journey. Perhaps it already is. Buy it right, pay it down, pay it off. This is the motto I want you to adopt, the litany I want you to repeat to yourself constantly. This is how I want you to build your financial wealth through real estate. All this will become clearer when we investigate the acquisition model later on. But Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. We will be really thankful if you support us by clicking the link in the description so that we continue to create amazing content for you.